Well, we are looking at three more questions this morning. So let's pray and we'll dive into our You Can Ask That message for this Sunday. Father, as we go to your word this morning, do something a little bit different, break from First and Second Samuel and answer some questions. Lord, I pray that, Father, you would bring that application to our lives. Lord, that you would give us the clarity. Father, that you would give us the... Um, the ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church, to, to me, to us individually today. God, that we might grow, that we might be changed. Please, Father, we pray that you would speak, Lord, by your word, through your Spirit. We're asking also that you would bless our children, Father, that you would minister uh, in and to them, Lord, that you might work through them, Father. Would you bless them and those serving them? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, it is the third Sunday, and so as we have been and will continue to for a few more months, uh, we're pausing our regular study in order to um, look at these questions that you have submitted, um, which all relate to matters of life, theology, culture, and apologetics. And, and in some ways this morning, we kind of capture all three of those. Once we get to the end, the, the whole of our three questions uh, hopefully will provide sort of a, a living apologetic, you might say, for the gospel. But we need to think these things and these kinds of things through. Questions that we have and that we're confronted with as 1 Peter 3.15 challenges us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear, humility. Um, in a day and an age when so many are deconstructing, unfortunately, in many cases, away from the faith rather than to, um, it, it, often there isn't attention being given to researching and understanding the reasonable biblical answers that exist for questions that are struggled with. And we want to make for certain that we're doing the work of thinking and preparing ourselves for common questions and struggles, as well as some that aren't so common, uh, those things that we're going to encounter and that we wrestle with individually. So once again, we're looking at three separate questions, each of which relate to one another somewhat. And today our message is titled, Knowing God's People, His Presence, and How They Make a Difference. That is in our world today. We'll begin with our first question this morning. Do I really have to go to church? So if you only came today to get the answer, hopefully you will come back Sunday after we're done, but um, is online attendance enough? Welcome, those of you with us online. Uh, do I have to show up in person or at all? So there's a few things we're getting at here in this question. Online church attendance has been a thing. It's been around for a while, 15 plus years. And of course, before that, there was uh, Christian radio and, and we'll be generous and call it Christian television as well. But the options for experiencing Sunday morning, but not in person, it's been around for a while. Um, and since so many during the pandemic could not attend in person, we found that many have determined that they no longer need to show up in person or in a lot of cases, once again, at all. Uh, so the question is, does it matter? Is it important that we show up? 
that we're here at church. And I, I use the term church loosely. I hope we understand. I, I know we understand the church is the body of Christ. I'm speaking of coming together collectively, the building, even though that's not what it is, but um, coming on a Sunday morning. Is listening and viewing remotely enough? And, and frankly, do we even have to go attend or take in church services at all? So everything from, is it okay if I just sit in my living room all the time uh, or occasionally take in a church service? Do I even need to do that um, ever? Um, I'm sure we've all encountered those inside and outside of the church that, that have told us you don't have to go to church to be a Christian or I worship God in nature, or something else. And while both of those statements can be somewhat true, I worship God in nature, I love to do that actually, um, they do ignore though what the Bible actually says, which is problematic. Uh, do I have to go to church to be a Christian, first of all? Um, Christian faith, being, being born again, uh, whether or not I am a believer and belong to Christ is not defined by anything that I do beyond placing my faith in Jesus Christ. Not tithing, not serving, whether or not I've been baptized or hold membership in a local church. But as we've addressed previously, we spoke to this when we talked about baptism. If we do have saving faith, acts of obedience, fruit will follow. And actually, it must but let's look at what the word of God has to say because that's what informs our faith and practice. That's what really matters in this debate. Christianity is, of course, founded on the word of God, not our opinions and traditions. The Bible does speak clearly to this issue. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, we read there, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, cling to it, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching. What the Lord is saying here is really pretty straightforward. A coming together, assembling it is not something followers of Christ should avoid. In fact, we should do it more as Christ's return draws near. This week, my wife and I were in the car. We had a long uh, road trip, and she read a post from Lecrae. Some of you are familiar with uh, him. Lecrae, he's, he's a musical artist. He raps, sings, writes. He's a record and film producer. And he's incredibly talented and has a unique voice in our world and in pop culture. And he's always been a little bit of, well, maybe probably more a lot of an outlier, not really wanting to be contained in, in boxes that people would put him in, especially the church, um, though he is a self-proclaimed Christian. He, he's a believer. But in the post, he quoted Hebrews 10.25, what we just read, but then claimed that it didn't mean what it said and that church attendance wasn't required or necessary, which um, many of his uh, followers began to take issue with in the comments, and, and I did too while I was driving. But based on some reading, I think Lecrae was more speaking to the church system and the need to be flexible in our understanding. Uh, he, like many um, personalities on social media, is basically having an open conversation. And in an interview, he actually shared uh, separately... Um, a post 
that he had written on uh, one of the various platforms. He wrote, once upon a time, I thought I was done with Christianity. He'd done some deconstructing himself. But the reality was I was just done with the institutionalized, corporatized, gentrified, politicized, culturally exclusive version of it. That is the church or Christianity. He then went on to post the very next day, just lost a show because of this tweet, that tweet, point proven. He added, vulnerability gets people kicked out of exclusive tribes. Jesus welcomes the outcast and seeks to bring healing. He's not wrong, but then he partly is in, in some of his point. Are there problems with the church that need changing? Absolutely. Uh, but then does God want us to use that as an excuse or even a reason to go solo? He does not. Understand that the disciples and, and Jesus' uh, close followers, they lived in community. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's very obvious. They traveled, they ministered together as a group, and after his death, burial, and resurrection, that didn't stop. Uh, we find them together in, in, in an upper room in the book of Acts chapter 2 when Pentecost took place and the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Living in community was a given. Back in chapter 20 of Acts, we read in verse 7, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight, the first day of the week. This would be Sunday in contrast to the Sabbath, which would have started at sundown the day prior. Very early on, we see that the church began the tradition of gathering weekly, specifically on Sunday to commemorate, as John writes in Revelation, the Lord's Day, the day that Christ rose again. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we read in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul was going around gathering a collection for the saints back in Jerusalem. They were struggling. He didn't want people to give out of pressure or compulsion. So he said, just, just start collecting it before I come when it is your normal practice to gather on the first day of the week. Uh, Sunday, that was when the church was in the habit of gathering together for worship, studying the word of God, prayer, communion, fellowship, and bringing of tithes and offerings. Now, of course, the day isn't uh, so much the issue as the regularity, though it, it matters that we come together weekly, and, and beings as uh, most of us have Sunday off, it works well, because of our Judeo-Christian culture, uh, it's been ingrained as a day of, of rest, of stopping, and traditionally it's a day of worship, and it's um, still that way today, obviously. So what does the Bible tell us that we gain from coming together, that, that frankly we don't receive otherwise, that we don't receive if we stay home or don't come at all? Uh, in Acts, Luke records exactly what the early church was up to in their gatherings. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we should see a reflection of this in our own experience today. And if we don't, something's wrong. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, 
in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, verse 46, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It is impossible for this to happen in your life and mine independent of the local church. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor. Impossible, that's, that's pretty extreme. What's being described in Acts 2.42 is a corporate experience. It's, it's not something happening to an individual. It's not something happening in isolation. When those points are described as to what was happening there in the church in Jerusalem, it's speaking in the context of the body of Christ. Bible study and, and being ministered to by the teaching of the word of God, um, sharing in meals and communion, praying together, and then continuing those relationships made on Sunday throughout the week. It requires belonging to a local church body. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to say this briefly. It applies to all three of these questions and frankly, all the other ones we've answered too. We're only scratching the surface here. We're, we're only able to give about 15 minutes to each of these. You could have a whole Sunday morning on, on each of these subjects, but that really isn't our uh, our, our objective here. It's to address several and keep moving forward. So if you have more questions, feel free to ask Wes afterwards. So one last thought before we move on to the next question. For the stubborn among us, I know there, there may be in other churches, maybe they're watching online or later, not you all, but in case you run into them. Hear Paul's word to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, that is your physical body. It's made up of, you know, however many bones and, and all the muscles and sinew and, and uh, outside of that, the the parts that you see and, and work and live with. Many are comprised together to work as one. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. Speaking of the body of Christ. Verse 14, for in fact, the body is one, is not one member, but many if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The person who says, I don't have to go to church. I, I don't need to get together with everybody and be a part of, you know, organized religion, blah, 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 etc., etc. Insert whatever else the argument is. Just because you say that does not make it so. That's a dis function in God's original design. Just as surely as if a part of your body were severed, not only does it cease to be a part of the whole as it was originally intended, but it actually dies, being cut off from life. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? If, if nobody else showed up and just me, we'll call me the mouth because I'm behind a pulpit. I hope it's more than that. But then, then that's kind of a weird, grotesque thing. Just the body of Christ, this big mouth. And yes, some people do see the church that way. And that's not how it's supposed to be. There needs to be balance. We all bring our gifting to the table that we might give, that we might receive. 
But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Using gifts, as I said before, receiving, uh, giving, learning, growing. It, it, it's not as though it only happens in the context of community. And we're not only talking about Sunday morning. Obviously, we gather Monday night and Thursday night and Wednesday night and, and Friday morning and in home fellowships and, and independent of anything organized by by the, the church, you all get together and have relationship with each other. It's happening in all of those contexts, but it's flowing from, from that which God has designed. Is online attendance enough? The simple answer is no. Should we attend in person? Yes. What if I physically cannot? Attend online and seek out other ways to enjoy fellowship with Christians. You see, I told you we weren't going to answer this in full because I know you guys were, well, what about so-and-so? They could never be here. You know what? They could if they tried. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so-and-so. We know you can't be here in person. Physical distance, health reasons, other limitations. I can't drive anymore. Those are all legitimate reasons, all right? But don't let, don't let the online interaction be the only. And for most of the people I know that have to be online, um, they know and they understand that. And, and they're constantly seeking out in, in connection with the body of Christ and thriving and healthy. But for those that do not have that excuse, which is the majority, we, we need to stretch ourselves and, and be here. Now, we're going to move on to the second question. Second question. What should I do when it seems God isn't there? What should I do when I feel distant from God? That is from his presence. Well, that's a difficult question and one that, that we've all faced. The struggle to trust, seek, and worship God when uh, suddenly or gradually he seems to have left us. And there are many reasons why this happens. Well, sometimes I believe we lose the sense of God's presence because he's actually teaching us not to rely on emotions and feelings, but to instead simply trust in the promises of his word. It's, it's an exercise in growth and maturity. We, we can become addicted to emotional highs and equate those with God's presence. Um, as if he's not here, if, if the favorite song isn't played with all the feels that come with it. Now, the feels are great. The favorite song is awesome. But God is still here just as present even when that doesn't happen. In those moments, God is likely, among other things, teaching us the truth found in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we would learn to walk by faith and not by sight. That is, we would learn to walk and live based on the promises of God, not on what we can sense or experience. Experiencing the good shepherd's presence, even in the valley of the shadow of death. It's a scary and a lonely, dark place. I think we've probably all been there. Maybe you're there right now or making your way through it, or maybe you just passed through recently or you're on your way into it. But he is there. The problem is we don't know that 
until we travel through that place, until we've lived through that Psalm 23 experience, we don't know personally that the good shepherd is there, that his rod and his staff do in fact bring comfort in that place. But it can also be circumstantial, this sense and feeling of the loss of the presence of God in our lives. We're depressed or discouraged because things haven't gone our way. This, this can also be uh, informed by a misunderstanding on our part that, that when physical or relational blessings are not present in our lives or seem to be withheld, that, that God is therefore not blessing us. A prayer, <coughs> excuse me, a prayer isn't answered yet. A trial has befallen us. Something bad happened, and so we feel that God has abandoned us. We imagine his presence has, has left us. In fact, author and pastor Max Lucado, he writes about this in one of his uh, books that's a favorite of mine. I've recommended it to many of you. Uh, you'll get through this. In it, he writes of how Moses, facing the immense needs, he was overwhelmed, Related to leading God's people out of slavery and into the wilderness, he cried out to God in Exodus 33, 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. He's like, God, if you're not with me, I don't want to go. As did David, the, the king, ended up in an Egypt of his own making. We've spent a lot of time looking at that in David's life. He seduced the wife of a soldier and covered up his sin with murder and deceit, Lucado writes. He hid from God for a year, finally confessing, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Lucado goes on, do likewise. Make God's presence your passion. How? Be more sponge and less rock. Place a sponge in the ocean and what happens? Its surface gets wet. The exterior may change color, but the interior remains untouched. Yet place a sponge in the ocean and notice the change. It absorbs the water. The ocean penetrates every pore and alters the essence of the sponge. He writes further, quoting from Job, you may lose the sense Excuse me, he writes further, you may lose the sense of God's presence. And Job did. Uh, Job writes in Job 23, verse 8, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. I catch no glimpse of him. Job felt far from God. We're, we're examining that right now on Wednesday nights. Yet in spite of this inability to feel God, Job resolved in verse 10 of chapter 23, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And finally, difficult days demand decisions of faith. Don't equate the presence of God with a good mood or a pleasant temperament. God is near whether you are happy or not. Sometimes you have to take your feelings outside and give them a good talking to. And that's one of the things I love about the Psalms where David, he, he speaks to himself, soul, why art thou disquieted within me? And we have to do that sometimes, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ as we've, as we've spoken to in recent messages. Now we can also begin to lose a sense of God's presence because of sin, We've imagined because the bottom hasn't completely fallen out yet that, that God doesn't mind our disobedience. That we can pretty much continue in sin and nothing bad will happen until it does. 
And it may manifest in the form of God withdrawing his presence as we've grieved his Holy Spirit. And so we feel abandoned and alone, spiritually dry. And yet in, in that case, it's, it's we who have left God and, and not the other way around. There are many different reactions to these seasons. Some run further from God. You've seen that before, I'm sure. If I can't feel him the way that I used to, then I'll, I'll fill the void with something else that I can feel. And that can take the form of religion. I, I've actually seen many friends do this. Faith isn't getting it for me. It's too hard to just trust in the promises of God and believe them. So I'll find God in some church system where, where I can see and touch him, light candles, have a religious experience, uh, and, and some leader that looks you know, more official than Pastor Aaron can tell me what I want to hear because he's just up there with a shirt that's not even tucked in. I need a collar or a robe or something that, that makes me really believe that that guy's connected to God. Anything but dealing with God myself. Some lose faith entirely, like Jesus' parable uh, of the sower and the seed. Rather than allow our roots to go and grow deeper into God and his promises through the difficult times, they instead pull away, believing faith itself to be the problem. Uh, they, they drift, they interpret their situation as evidence that God was never there to begin with. They lose heart and walk away from God and his people, at least temporarily, but sometimes permanently. And some do what we do through any problem. We freak out. Maybe we go back to old habits, um, binge watch TV, turn our focus to social media, overeat, drink, or indulge in other fleshly appetites that temporarily curb the, the, the pain of feeling abandoned but then leave us far worse off than when we began. And now laden with guilt and shame on top of feeling distance from God and struggling in our faith. It's messy. So what should we do? First of all, be honest about it with God and others. Uh, ask for prayer and cry out to God in desperation. I, honestly, it's not very often that I have people come up to me and, and share this very thing. I just feel distant from God. I'm dry. It does happen. But I think we tend to feel awkward saying that, admitting that. Um, be honest. Alongside of asking ourselves what the problem might be and seeking the help of God's people and God himself, there, there are disciplines that we can maintain through these valleys that serve to help guide us through to the other side. First of all, keep reading. Psalm 119, 105, often quoted. It's one of my favorites. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what's funny that I don't tend to point out when I reference Psalm 119, 105? Darkness is, is presumed. <laughs> we, we need God's word and his promises to, to light the path because it's not going to be illumined any other way. And our lives often are characterized by darkness. One of the things I read again when I was finding that excerpt I read from Max Lucado's book was the reality that, you know, we, we tend to want to get to a place in life where everything's just awesome and it's like a constant sunrise and everything feels great and it's just constant blessing. Most of life is like Monday, 
you know? There's a lot of life that is just mundane, and it's learning contentment and finding great gain in it, learning to trust Christ through, through what is, by and large, chores and, and dealing with things we don't want to have to and, and stuff that we really don't like. Learning to just appreciate God's blessing and presence in those moments. I, I'm not saying life isn't great with the Lord and, and that there aren't blessings and, and good things, but life, it's, it's not just like this constant theme park, and it never will be, not for most of us anyway. Keep reading. His word and promises are able to bring hope to those places in life, but we have to read. Not stop reading and just set it aside because I hit a patch of God's word that just didn't seem to make sense or I had a difficult day when I just couldn't concentrate. You read it anyway. Do you know how many times in my life I've sat and opened the word of God and it is incredibly difficult to concentrate? I'm having to read and reread and read again. Like, what was that? It wasn't even that complicated. And it, it's going over my head and I'm not, I, you, if you just give up and walk away, A, the enemy has won, so is your flesh and you have starved yourself from spiritual nourishment for yet another day. Exercise the discipline and the self-control to nourish yourself on the word of God. Secondly, keep worshiping, which is least we forget a sacrifice. Because sometimes our perspective of, of, of worship is like I come in and now everything on this stage is meant to just bless your little socks off. And, and if my socks are not jumping off my feet, you know, singing a little praise to the Lord, blessed, then, then Pastor Frankie has done something wrong. Our perspective is wrong. It's a sacrifice of praise. Do you, we understand and remember where the origins of that concept are, Right. See, the children of Israel, they were to bring a sacrifice. They were to bring an animal from their herds or a sampling of their harvest. That was their income. They were losing something. It cost them something, but they were giving it to God because he was worthy. They recognized everything they had came from him anyway. It's, it's sort of like our view of tithes and offerings. You see, when I'm standing or sitting or kneeling in worship, I, I, I'm, I'm focusing, turning away from me and my problems in life to the Lord and recognizing, God, you are worthy. You walk into the presence of King Charles today, it's not about you. It's about him. He's the king. How much more the king of kings? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifices, the sacrifices of praise to our God the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I think we all know there's something dynamic that happens when we choose to push through ourselves and enter into worship and, and allow the greatness of who he is to transcend whatever it is that we're struggling with. Thirdly, keep fellowshipping, keep fellowshipping. We made that point already in whether or not we need to be here present. Yes, we do. And this is part of the reason. Hebrews 10.25 made it abundantly clear, but choosing to gather with God's people, even and perhaps especially so in times when, when, when we feel that God is distant, it, it's a way to help ensure that we're hearing from God. It provides a platform. Maybe you've been struggling, dragging yourself to open the word and, and pray and seek him. Well, at least you've got one more opportunity 
where, where God can minister to you through his word by coming and being in the company of his people and in his presence. Feeling distance from God, it's going to happen in this life. Uh, sometimes for a moment, and other times for prolonged periods, I have had prolonged periods. You, you think it's hard to come here. Imagine having to come here and do this, feeling this way. Please don't imagine for a second this doesn't happen to me. We're not just talking about the, the discipline to open the word of God. We're talking about the discipline to trust God, believe his promises, and prepare a message and, and teach God's word when I don't necessarily feel God's presence. So this is, this is growth and maturity, recognizing we, we can't, that, that whole idea of walking by faith and not by sight. The image in the picture I've had for many years is, is like teaching little infants how to walk, toddlers. You know, we, we hold their hands and sometimes we'll stand in front of them, hands on each of their hands, and then we'll go to one hand and then just a finger. And then we step away for a minute and so they can kind of do their little, their, you like my baby walk there? Sorry, I don't know. Uh, we do, the, they do their little walk and they might, it's first, you know, freak out like you're leaving me and I'm going to fall through some crack into a bottomless pit or something, you know, that's not going to happen. But how you learn to walk is, is doing it without those supports and the emotions and, and instantly answered prayers. Those are so awesome. But, but God's like, okay, what's going to happen if, if the emotions are absent and maybe instantly answered prayers are absent? You've you, you got to understand and trust me that my word is still true because sometimes your prayers, they're going to take a while to answer because I'm working in your life or someone else's. The key to remember and understand the key is to remember and to understand that our, our feeling of him, it doesn't determine his presence or his power. He's with us regardless of what we can or cannot feel. Now, Al, until then, we have to remember with the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, verse 35, which is a great passage to, you, you know, periodically we'll hit a topic, a subject, and I'll encourage you, if you struggle with this, Memorize it, meditate in it. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? How do you think you feel during those experiences? Probably not real great. But the love of God is still with us there. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, much more that we could say about this, but for sake of time, we'll move directly into our final question. What positive difference can Christianity really make? What are some practical ways that we as the church can influence society and advance the kingdom of God? So having walked through why church attendance and belonging to the local church is important and what to do when we feel distant from God, this final question, it flows well. Assuming you're healthy or on your way to being healthy and are a part of a healthy church, what is the healthy outcome that we should expect that we should be looking for? 
I read an AP and Associated Press article recently that made some observations that I think relate to this final part of today's message. In it, the author addresses the rise of the nuns, not like um, women in habits and black you know, suit, not that kind of nun, but those in American society who don't describe or rather themselves as belonging to or subscribing to any faith tradition. When asked what religion they are, they answer none. Those nuns. According to the article, they now account for nearly 30% of all adults in the United States. Their numbers are increasing and have been for decades. And contrary to what you might think, these are not atheists or agnostics. Their real issue is organized religion. Says one student who left her childhood Catholicism in her early in her uh, teen years, she said, church was not very good for me. I'm a lesbian. So that kind of like, oh, I really don't fit, and people don't like me. These nuns account for a full one in six adults. The article goes on stating that many embrace a range of spiritual beliefs, from God, prayer in heaven to karma, reincarnation, astrology, or energy in crystals. And the author writes, they are definitely not as turned off to religion as atheists and agnostics are. And I would point out, a huge percentage of Generation Z. That's children in uh, my kids, my family's age group. Huge percentage of Generation Z are in this category. They're definitely not as turned off to religion as atheists and agnostics are. They practice their own type of spirituality, many of them. What's especially interesting and concerning is that this group is not just represented by older adults. In fact, it's larger and those that are younger. AP reports about four in 10 of those under 30 are nuns. Nearly as many as say they are Christians. The trend was evident in interviews on the University of Missouri campus where this article centered. Several students said they didn't identify with a religion. Another student said she uh, likes the foundations of a lot of religion, just love everybody, accept everybody, but she considers herself more spiritual. I'm pretty into astrology. I've got my crystals charging up in my window right now. She said, honestly, I'll bet half of it is a total placebo. But I just like the idea that things in life can be explained by greater forces. Now, that probably bothers some of us. I know some of us hear that and we maybe roll our eyes or get kind of irritated. Like, oh, my gosh. It should grieve us. But getting angry about our world and culture isn't going to reach anyone. Think about all the people I just described. Are they going to be moved by the church of God getting together and raising our fists, shaking it at a culture that rejects the church? Least of all, those that have a negative view of the church to begin with. What our world and our country needs is a fresh reintroduction to Christianity and not what they've seen on TV or the internet and not what God was doing yesterday. In many ways, that's irrelevant. They need to experience New Testament Christianity today in the real world. And that's why this morning's question matters. The church has to pivot. We have to recognize that reaching our culture, our community, it's not going to happen apart from you and I having a real 
and vibrant walk with Christ and living that out in the context of community, the body of Christ in the real world. <laughs> so how can the church be an agent for change? Not, not, not being known for what we're against might be a good place to start which tends to be how it goes for some of us. We're, we're right out there with everything that we're opposed to, but not so much what, what we're in favor of or what we're representing in the person of Jesus Christ. Runs counter to what we tend to imagine our mission to be, but Jesus spoke these words in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men that will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that interesting? I don't need to be a part of the church uh, to be a Christian. Great, wonderful, whatever. The, the Bible says you do. In fact, the Bible says you need to be here and we actually need to get along with each other. And, and are doing that well, are loving one another, that is one of the single most powerful witnesses to the watching world. When they watch us fighting and battling back and forth, they just look at it and go, yeah, right. And I can't disagree with them. Why in the world would they want to try anything when it doesn't work for us to begin with? That's the apologetic aspect of this morning's message. The single most powerful apologetic is the church functioning in the healthy ways that God has called her to, called you and I to. It starts with us doing well right here, us loving one another well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus highlighted this in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're called, we're instructed to live out our lives before the world in a way that they can see that our faith is real. That action follows it. A positive difference. We're called to love our neighbor. And I think that means everything from caring about the person that lives next door to you to seeking the good of the community in which you live. In fact, the county, the state, and the country. This could be everything from helping with a city cleanup day, just picking up trash to volunteering as a big brother, filling the void in a young person's life where there's no parent present. It could mean taking a job at a community center where you're able to impact kids and families. It means volunteering at your local shelter, the Orange County Rescue Mission, even an animal shelter, caring about what happens in our world that's affecting everybody when we're only about this place, this physical building, that is exactly the message that's communicated. You guys are about yourself. Whatever. There's no room for me. And I'm not talking about, you know, a social gospel absent the message itself. You know, meeting physical needs opens the door. It builds bridges to actually speaking to spiritual needs in people's lives. We earn the right to, to minister in that way, when, when we've shown people that we care, that they're not just a project of ours, but that they matter, that they are image bearers. They're made in the image of God, and for that reason, their lives possess value. How 
how do we make an impact in our society? Voting is probably, I, I think, a bare minimum. Recognizing that elected officials uh, impact the whole of our, our, our lives, our cities. Praying for them. Go to, go to your, your city's website and pray for the city council members there. I pray for our city council members. I get invited and I pray for our city council meetings every few months. If you're gifted and so-called, it can mean running for public office, making decisions that honor the Lord from whatever position he allows you. And we've had that in our, our church body. It's serving. God used Daniel in that way. Historically, <laughs> hospitals, orphanages, anti-slavery movements, they started with the church. They were birthed by God's people from a, a biblical worldview that values people as having been made again in the image of God. And these, and, and in so many other ways, we're called to go. Matthew 28, we read there the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is intrinsically about moving our focus away from ourselves toward others across the street, the city, the county, and the world. We'll close with this charge from Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For then how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel and its, its impact on lives and culture, it has to go out. But there's a problem. It cannot go out from the church, uh, go out rather, it cannot go out apart from the church sending. And, and the church can't send unless you're here to hear the call. Kingdom work, it happens in the context of the body of Christ, united, walking closely together with him. When this happens, uh, we are changed and the world is changed. The problem with church today, it's not the other person, it's, it's me, it's us. The question is, will we grow? Will we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Will we purpose to press into God's presence, to love one another, to serve and, and seek to reach the stranger and the lost? Or will we stagnate and only be concerned about ourselves? God's calling us to something far higher. Let's stand now and respond to the Lord where he's speaking to our hearts. Father, I know that, Lord, for, for most of us here, God, even though our hearts are deceitfully wicked, Lord, we want to be where you are. We want to be doing what you've called us to, Lord. It's our desire to, to continue following Jesus, you, just as we answered your calling on our lives when we first came to know you. So I pray that right now you'd give us the faith and the obedience to lay at your feet those parts of our lives that do not align with what we've spoken about this morning. Lord, whether it's a laxed attitude, Lord, an overly independent spirit that, that doesn't see the necessity of, Lord, your people, the community, the body of Christ, the church that you've placed so much value on. Maybe it's just learning to love our neighbor and our neighbor that maybe we have a harder time with, dying to ourselves and putting the other person before us. 
Lord, maybe it's that we need to repent of not seeing the world through your eyes. We're guilty of being angry and, and upset, but it, it hasn't moved us to love our neighbor as ourselves, that, that we might earn the right to speak into someone's life who's dying to know you. The next Saul of Tarsus, the next Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, we pray that, God, you would change us, that we might be the people you've called us to be, that we might see real dynamic working through this church body, through these lives, Lord, from Laguna Niguel and Dana Point, Lord, up to Mission Viejo and, and Laguna Hills, Lord, from RSM, Ladera Ranch here in Lake Forest and Irvine, God, Laguna Beach, Laguna Woods, God, all across this area, Father, that you would work powerfully. In Jesus' name.